Downloads of this show are available on Podomatic.com and the Podomatic mobile app. This is Lost and Rewound on Radio Free Brooklyn. Time to get embarrassed with us. very happy i'm happy 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 to be here honestly are you really i am really happy to be here that means that you have been happy for how long now for weeks you've been i haven't been happy for almost 30 years (laughs) 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 but i'm happy today welcome to lost and rewound i'm milan i'm jimmy and allison is out in the field somewhere out in the swamp, somewhere out in Bourbon Street. Who knows where she is? Yeah, she's riding an alligator <laughs> down through the bayou. The alligator of which we've unofficially named Gary, but I don't know. Um, Gary's a good name for a gator. Yeah, I think. why not? <laughs> if you want to see where we are all online for past episodes, by all means, go check out our site on Potomatic, uh, iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, and uh, we are on RadioFreeBrooklyn.org slash LAR. That's where you can sponsor our show. Yes, that's right. This show does not run on fuel. It runs on donations from people like you. Yeah. You can go again to again, RadioFreeBrooklyn.org slash LAR, and you can pledge directly to our show. Or you can go to RadioFreeBrooklyn.org slash donate. Yeah, we are a 501c3 charitable organization, so all your donations are tax-deductible to the fullest extent of the law. RFB also can be heard online. Wait, you are hearing us online, but did you know that you could download either of the iOS or Android apps so you can have the Radio Free Brooklyn app? Say what? That's right. Oh, my God. It's like I'm living in a dystopian future. Oh, wait, I am. (laughs) Yeah, that's about right. Lastly, we have a newsletter called, get ready for it, Radio Free Brooklyn. That's R-E-A-D-I-O. Wow. The minds have come together. And man created that one. Uh, I, 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 I was featured in it when Phantom of the Paradise in concert was uh, popping. I got to mention it. So any of the community announcements, events that are occurring, feel free to keep in touch with us on RadioFreeBrooklyn.org slash newsletter, and you will be certainly not spammed. We only do it once a month, so check your inboxes for that once a month if you choose to uh, go that route. Jimmy, welcome back, dude. Honestly. Uh, oof. It's been rough, man. I think we said last week you're like in a work spiral. Well, it works seasonally, so I was struggling in the winter mm-hmm. and like barely getting by. And then all of a sudden the warm weather hit and my boss was like, you know, he was going from giving me like a one day a week. And all of a sudden he's like, you can work every day. And it's like people are just handing you money and you have nothing. Yeah. <laughs> you're like, you know what? I've been over here eating those wontons from the Chinese food. Yeah. I didn't even know the Chinese. <laughs> We record the shows for those who are in the know uh, in advance. So uh, even with the advanced recording scheduling that we were uh, implementing, it was just not working out. And trying to get you here was uh, like pulling teeth. 
to lend so much of the team. You know, it's again, it's I love to be here, and we're we're leveling out more. And uh, you, you dad, mean, daddy's daddy's eating steak now. You, you, good, <laughs> I'm glad. You missed the, the our, we have now officially been on Radio Free Brooklyn now for two years. Uh, we had our two year anniversary last week, uh, in culmination with our 100th broadcast for Radio Free Brooklyn. That's really where we stand right now. But what do we have coming up next? Let's find out. Today's guest is Charlie Rao, a New York-based musician coming here by way of the South, coming from the South up north to New York City. Originally a studio musician, he has a new album called Veriditas out on Destiny Records. He's also an artist endorser for Collings and Labella Strings, and he comes to us courtesy of our previous guest, Taylor Place. Please welcome Charlie Rao. Welcome to the studio. Hey. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. This is a pleasure, man. We've been in touch, I think, for maybe a little over a month, uh, at least almost two months, I it's, think. You yeah, originally, it's been a while. You've, <laughs> Since Taylor uh, turned me on to you guys, yeah. Yeah, it was a, a, a Jimmy hiatus and a, a musical ago for me. <laughs> hey, hey. Well, Taylor's, uh, Taylor's another fantastic musician, oh, so yeah. anyone that, that she endorses, we immediately, there's like no background check. Yeah, that was really <laughs> awesome of her, so... Because of the connection that you have with her, uh, does that mean that you have been doing like a lot of artery shows, or how, how did you get to meet her specifically? Uh, yeah, I have been doing uh, artery shows here and there, and that that's where I met her. Uh, she was hosting one at her place uh, that I played at. A little while after that, she told me about this show and put me in touch, yeah. And how long ago did you move here? Uh, I moved here eight years ago. Eight years ago from where specifically in the South? Uh, Nashville, Tennessee. Before we started recording, it seems like uh, you've kind of bounced around a little bit. That's not where you're even originally from, right? Right. Yeah, I was born in Alexandria, Virginia. And then when I was a baby, my family moved to Huntsville, Alabama. And that's where I grew up, uh, spent most of my formative years. And as a teenager, my family moved back to Virginia. And uh, and that's where I went to high school and, and all that before moving to Tennessee. What was it like moving back and forth from Alabama to Virginia? I really loved uh, growing up in northern Alabama. It's just a really beautiful state. Played outside a lot. And that's where I came up with what I'll play later on the air. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's on my, my record as well. Uh, the first melody I ever came up with was when I was living there when I was around eight years old. Wow. Um, so nice. that's, that's when I started uh, just kind of, I've always hummed a lot when I was a kid. And that's what I consider my first songs to be uh, before I learned how to play an instrument and started recording and, and being in studios and stuff. When did you start playing a guitar for the first time? Uh, I started playing guitar when I was around 13, and my dad taught me how to play. Uh, before that, I had been playing uh, clarinet and saxophone, doing kind of jazz stuff. So playing guitar kind of opened up a lot because I could play by myself. Right. And it took me a while to to really know my way around it enough to kind of make songs, because I've never been a singer-songwriter. I've always just been a guitar player. So writing songs without singing, I, I really had to kind of figure out a way to make my way around the neck. But once I did, it was 
it just opened a lot of things up and I just eventually stopped playing horns and just focused on guitar. It seems pretty organic and it's come up a lot in past conversations with yeah. musicians on the show that before one turns a certain age, they're usually inclined to just do the school band, or the school orchestra yeah. type. Thing. Yeah, which is great. I mean, that was a way in for me and I'm sure for a lot of kids. And I think it's really important that schools have those programs. Uh, your so clarinet is your gateway, you know, instrument. Basically. <laughs> yeah, yeah, basically. Yeah, it's it's I think it's a great thing. Anybody in your family as well a musician or were you sort of the you stuck out, shall we say? Uh, well, yeah, I mean, my my family has always been really into music and my dad actually is a musician, a self-taught uh, musician. Right. So he never really pursued it professionally, but he really instilled that in me. And when he was teaching me how to play, uh, it was really fun uh, learning, getting into guitar, playing along with him because I had grown up hearing him playing guitar around the house and always really loved it. What type of uh, songs did your father play? He's a really good finger style player. He plays banjo as well. And uh, he, he always was kind of inclined towards a Western or kind of folky uh, type music. So I grew up hearing that sound and it made a huge impact when I started getting into stuff like jazz and, uh, and rock, as a lot of teenagers do. But that element of that kind of openness to the, the Western or country or traditional American style music really cut deep still pretty prevalent in the way i play now so i i definitely got that from his playing i like how you said you know i got into like jazz and rock like most teenagers do and i was thinking we're hanging out some, some cool teenagers <laughs> yeah. guys listening to jazz man oh, absolutely <laughs> we yeah. like like teenagers i knew were listening to uh it was either rock like again headbanging rock or it was hip-hop you know but yeah. jazz, that's, uh, I feel like that's a pretty advanced thing. Well, yeah. I musician, mean, I, musician, you know, style type of thing. Yeah, I, I kind of worked backwards. I got more into like pop and, and various things like that when I was older uh, yeah. and realized that they were really cool. You learned <laughs> a beautiful, yeah, I, I've learned to appreciate pop as I became an yeah, adult. Yeah, yeah. I actually work with a lot of pop artists uh, in, in studio stuff and, and listen to a lot of it now way more than I did when I was younger uh, and, and really appreciate it and enjoy it. If the so, songs are good. Yeah. That's what I realize now. It's like, it's the same with a lot of things when you get older you stop judging things yeah and you just go and you take it in and you yeah. say well if it's good it's good and if it's not it's not yeah yeah so i can hear it and i can know yeah versus alabama when you went to high school in virginia i wasn't sure if there was any contrast in how you connected musically with people down before you became a certain age i wasn't as aware uh, as i was when i was a teenager because uh, my teenage years were in virginia in mm -hmm. high school so the years in alabama when i was a kid uh you know there was stuff out like uh that I remember when In Utero came out when I was in like fourth grade and I had friends that were really into that and and I still love that record and I love Nirvana and and a lot of stuff like that. So I remember basically music that was on the radio and things like that. Uh, and when I really started buying music, I think the first record I ever bought uh, was when I was in third grade and it was a cassette tape of uh, Duke Ellington stuff. Awesome. And uh, the reason I got into that was actually not, it wasn't because I was like woke in any way. <laughs> like, it was, it was Dude. more, of, my, my mom was uh, really into old movies and still like classic movies. And she always had those on in the house. And I was, you know, that's kind of the big juxtaposition. My dad kind of having this uh, earthy folk music kind of element that made a big impact. And then my mom watching classic films, which had that music in it. And I remember hearing that music and, and just liking it and liking the atmosphere of it. So I asked her, you know, like, what's some of this music? And she pointed me to some mm. people like Duke Ellington and Frank Sinatra and things like that. So when I was in like second and third grade, that's 
when I was listening to at home. I think wow. you might have been the coolest kid in your class. Yeah, yeah not so much. <laughs> you know, it's funny because I know what I know what you mean. When I was a kid, my my first favorite actors, I still remember because my mother used to put me on all that old stuff. My favorite comedian was Bob Hope. <laughs> and my favorite, when I was little, I remember this. And then my favorite actor was Cary Grant. Yeah. Because mm. he mean, was super smooth. Yeah. But he was sort of funny. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, I mean, I, I, those are two big ones for me, too. I still remember The Princess and the Pirate. It's a hilarious movie with Bob Hope in it. Yeah, dude, Bob Hope, you know, I, I found out later in life that he was like, a, everyone was like, ah, oh, Bob Hope's like hacky. And I'm like, no, he was fun. It's like, it's you know, Bob Hope was doing his thing. You know? Yeah, yeah. He was very original, and it was like that style of comedy. I mean, I, I still laugh at that stuff. Yeah, you know. But it's, He's, yep. No, I was, I was going to say, do you still have any of the old movies that your mother used to play in your personal collection, or have you since sort of, as a sort of a nostalgia effect, um, gone back to to watch certain movies that remind you of childhood? Yeah, well, I I feel like my family has, uh, we all have kind of fi- collective favorites, uh, like Double Indemnity is one with uh, Barbara Stanwyck and Fred McMurray. Uh, that's that's a really awesome one. And uh, yeah, I mean, a lot of those film scores, North by Northwest, oh, yeah. like that's another one. And uh, yeah, I mean, just uh, a lot of the films, mostly I would say from the 30s to the 60s, which is three decades. But that era, there's a lot of them. Uh, well, they used to, uh, you know, I went to film school. And one thing that one reason why there's actually like way more movies made then than now is for one, they didn't have special effects. That wasn't yeah. a thing. And they just needed, they would rotate the actors and they'd keep the exact same crew, and it's called the production system, and you do a new movie every two weeks. You just got a new script, new actors. Yeah. And you just change it over, and you do, all right, and you just, like, crank movies out. Yeah, And yeah. they were, like, good. Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> the, the crazy thing was, if it was a good studio, and you had good writers, that every movie was coming out was good. Well, I mean, it's the same thing with the recording industry at the time. Uh, there were a lot of records coming out, and, and people were going in and knocking it out, and one or two takes like a, a lot of the music I'm really into like Patsy Cline and uh, Glenn Campbell and all of that stuff. I mean, that's back in the days of what's now known as like the wrecking crew or the legendary uh, studio players that would go in and knock these number one records out in a couple of minutes. Yeah. Uh, just golden age stuff. man. Yeah. Yeah. Like all the stuff uh, like pet sounds and, and all of those classic records that uh, the studio players in that um, they could crank out loads of records and they were top notch quality because everyone was just the same thing with the movies uh so yeah i'm i'm really interested in that era uh and for a lot of reasons uh, but that's two of them for sure were there scores that inspired you a little bit with your compositions at that point because i was so young i hadn't really started digging in uh to the extent that i did when i was older um so it was more of the collective atmosphere of the score music yeah in, in the classic movies uh, just the the idea of it um the mood of it and, and movies like that and and the theme songs like laura is a, another a famous song oh uh, yeah man yeah in that era um a lot of the pop songs were orchestrated and i remember really liking that openness uh, again going back to uh i mean this is a, a really long stretched connection but i really think it had something to do with it the openness of the orchestrated uh theme songs to the movies kind of connected for me in my head anyway the openness of traditional american folk music that my dad was playing they had those in common that they were open but not busy uh, there's a lot going on but not in a busy way just a wide way and i remember really liking that there's a distinct mood that i feel like every type of music has and i know what you mean those old movies 
when you start to watch them, you get drawn in. There's something, but it's it's alluring, but it's not heavy. Yeah. It's strange. Yeah. It's like a wispy, smoky, you know, you want to be there, but it's you don't feel the pressure of movies now. Yeah. You guys watch a movie now and you feel pressure while you're watching. <laughs> yeah, I feel, feel like I'm watching a long, episodic TV show. Just as much as if I'm watching a TV show, I feel like I'm watching a movie. There's no difference, really. Well, that's well nowadays, that's what they try. They're trying to blur that line. They, don't, yeah. they want TV to just be movies. And they want movies to be TV. Well, movies are, that's why I keep saying, man, movies are like dying right now. And TV yeah. is, is just getting stronger and stronger. Because yeah, yeah, that's it's true. so more deliverable. Yeah, yeah. It's easier to pump into people's houses. Yeah. And, like, the theaters are great and all, but they need to figure out some new kind of spectacle to get people to go yeah, to these I agree. things. The problem I, now is the only thing that attracts people to theaters now is big-time special effects and movies that will look better on a big screen. Yeah, yeah. It's like this. You go, ooh, I want to see the movie, like, before it's going to come out on video, right? Back in the day, that was, like, a big delay. Now a movie comes out, it's on demand, like, a week after it's out of the theater. Yeah, yeah. So true. what's the point to go to the theater? Yeah, and, and then on top of that, everybody's just torrenting everything anyway. Right. So. I mean, yeah. so I, I mean, that's why, like, you know, movies now, people are just like, Wah. I just, yeah, I, I, I haven't got, I hate, I don't know. Don't get me started. I, <laughs> I, I, no, I, I, I wanted to bring it back one second because I was just trying to remember. Charlie, did you have cable when you were a kid? Um, when I was older. Uh, you didn't when you were living in Alabama? No. Okay. So then Charlie Rowe goes back to Virginia. You have cable. You've got you know new set of friends, more or less. You kept in touch with the kids out in Alabama, no? Yeah, actually, when I moved to Tennessee, I met up with them all. That's awesome. Yeah, it was really cool. Yeah, Bama. to see what everyone was up to. Yeah, it was it was awesome. But one could say that you were getting a little bit more access to the mainstream when you got to be at a certain age. Yeah, you could say that. I mean, and also it's it's important to make the distinction. When I was living in Huntsville, in Alabama, it wasn't like rural or anything. It was very suburban. Like, so it wasn't uh, it wasn't that much of a disconnect. Yeah. Um, but I would say the combination of becoming a teenager and moving into, you know, like basically the suburbs of D.C., yeah. uh, that did make a big difference in what I was exposed to, for sure. Do you have any um, memories of what you – not culture shock, but like any like very revelatory moments that came to you when you moved to this new area for the first time? Yeah, I hated it. <laughs> Well, that's good. Yeah, I mean, I, that, that's, well, some, that, that's something to note. There's a distinct Why? feeling in the Chesapeake region, and it's 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 an, it's it's a tension. Potomac. Yeah, that that Potomac man. Yeah. It's something in the in the water. It's, yeah, I, yeah. I, we moved to Herndon, Virginia, and uh, when I was, I think I was, yeah, right, right around the time I turned 13, I started playing guitar shortly after my family moved to yeah. uh, Virginia. Yeah, I really did not like it uh, because when I was uh, younger in Alabama, we had a big backyard. And we were near mountains, so me, my dad, and my brother would go camping sometimes. And, uh, yeah, it was just uh, – it felt more open. Uh, everything felt more open. There was a real openness to just the atmosphere of being there. And that's a combination of being a, a kid, too, and not, you know, not knowing as much, uh, not worrying about as much. But also just the weather in Alabama, the the volatile storms and things like that, it, it really had an impact on me because uh, I was there basically from age 4 to 13. So it made a huge impact on just my thought process and the way that I thought about things. And it was totally different uh, going back to Virginia. So I, I really didn't like it. And I was also really unhappy in high school. Why which, were you unhappy? Uh, I, I really, well, I still hate school. Uh, you still hate school? Yeah, I, I hated uh, high school. And, and then I thought it'd be a good idea to go to conservatory to study music because I love music. 
And uh, I hated that too. So I dropped out after two years. And that's how I wound up in Nashville, uh, getting started with studio stuff and working various awful day jobs until I could get enough going. Nashville's a good place to go. I think you can certainly find enough uh, gigging out there to make ends meet. Man, it was actually really, it was way harder there than it is here. Hmm. <laughs> for me anyway. And it's different for different people, but. It just, I guess, I guess it takes enough time clearly to get a name. And then when yeah. you finally get that name, then you could start really truly seeing the, the bookings come. Yeah. I mean, until I'm, then. Yeah. I'm still in touch with some really great people. Uh, Jim Riley, a producer down there that I'm still in touch with, was really cool. He saw me playing at a small club and gave me my first studio work in Nashville. And uh, I'm still in touch with a, a number of people there that were really you know, really nice to me and, and gave me a shot and got me started, which made it possible for me to do well up here. Uh, but yeah, Nashville was actually really tough. Like my time there was basically working some really crazy jobs in between gigs, sessions and stuff like that. What kind of crazy jobs? Oh, boy. Uh, I was a chimney sweep for a while. Oh, my God. Oh, uh, where are you? Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> all right, sir. Yeah. All right, Governor. <laughs> Sorry. Couldn't help myself. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. We went a, there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That happened. I was a window repairman for a while. Okay. Uh, dude, I, how I, much odder can the jobs get? Yeah, dude. It, and not What just, other ways can we be repairing the house? Yeah, not not just a window repairman, a very specific window <laughs> repairman. I fixed windows that had moisture damage. Oh, Dude. And I drove a van around that said, get the fog out. Yes. Dude. I am all about puns, that business name. Puns that are, yeah. that are, are slightly dirty. dirty yeah. Slightly yeah. Dirty it was puns. so good. Yep. Yeah. That, and I worked in a shoe store for a while uh, that, doing shipping and receiving. Oh my so, God. Like, not, oh, thank yeah, goodness not you weren't. Yeah, thank was, goodness you weren't putting shoes on people's feet. Yeah. No, I was in the back lifting like 80 pound boxes all day. <sighs> yeah. And then I worked at the front desk at a hotel. Uh, which was particularly humiliating because it's the only job I ever had in my life where I had to wear a suit to work. And it was the lowest paying job I ever had, including being a teenager working at the damn movie theater. Jeez. So, well, yeah. you know, everybody makes it humble. Think about, um, who is it? Gregory Peck. I think he was like the Usher Radio City uh, yeah, yeah. or something. And then... Um, yeah, Harrison Ford was a carpenter. Yeah, you know, so... We all we've all been there. Yeah, where we're some of us are still there. <laughs> well, we're all there. Hey, <laughs> yeah. I want to roll back just one quick second because I'm intrigued by what you said that you have never done well in school. What about the conservatory nature was not for you? I feel like at that point I was starting to really develop some ideas. And, and uh, they don't like ideas. And yeah, like that. It's <laughs> very true. That's, a lot of people don't like ideas. The older that you get, the more you realize when you start to have ideas, people are like, "Slow down, there, Jim." Yeah, stupid ideas. No, yeah, yeah. but this, so like it was more of a conflict of uh, not being a team player per se, more more wanting to branch out and do your own thing without being told this is how you do it. Well, if I'm going to be level headed, it was a combination, I think, of a lot of things because at 18 years old, I'm sure I wasn't articulate in what I was trying to get across. So I can see why I wouldn't have got along with a lot of my professors. But at the same time, I was learning a lot of stuff that I was really interested in, things like music theory, things like that, that started getting into a different territory than what I was being taught in the lessons. So I started incorporating some of that stuff and they didn't want me to do that. That's really what made me pretty frustrated because I was using stuff I was learning and they weren't letting me use it yet. If that makes any sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it does. It's the same way. Like when you're learning a language that you already know, but you don't know how to write it or read it. 
Yeah. And then they're like, and you're like, well, I know how to say all this. And they're like, no, say this really basic sentence. Yeah. And you're yeah. like, well, I can say a lot more. And they're like, no, no, no. Yeah. And honestly, it, start from uh, the bottom. I think the reason I left was, uh, from my perception anyway, I felt like if I was going to go to school, then I should be into, you know, how they were selling it. And I wasn't. So it wasn't necessarily me thinking they were wrong. It was me feeling I shouldn't be there. If, if hey man, that was probably one of the best decisions you ever yeah. made. Yeah, yeah, it worked out. You got no, you gotta, you gotta go with your gut, man. Yeah, no, I applaud you, Charlie, because uh, it seems like you've made so many great decisions based on the ethos that you can get it done better independently, and that you don't necessarily have to be mainstream to accomplish what others are in that same. Firm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I've taken, uh, I guess, I've taken some chances that seem to have paid off. I, I think a lot of it has to do with just having really good people around me also uh, which I've, I've always been really fortunate to have that so while you were in virginia you recorded a song that you provided to us and this is one of the first songs that uh you did record is that yeah correct? yeah it's one of the first songs i ever recorded for sure and i i think i was around 20 because i had recorded a lot of stuff before that but uh, it was playing in bands and I had contributed to the creative process of it. But this was the first song that I wrote just totally and played all the instruments on and recorded in a studio. And it's called Ocean Boating. Yep. What is the meaning of ocean boating? I was trying to remember that. And, <laughs> uh, I'm pretty sure when I was in school, there was a girl I had a huge crush on. And I think it was something she mentioned. I think it was a game or something that her and her siblings played. I don't know how the subject came up. I remember she said ocean boating, and I'm pretty sure that's what she said it was. It sounds it was like, really dirty. <laughs> I'd like to think that it wasn't. Because it's like, it's one of those things like ocean boating. That just sounds like boating. Yeah, but yeah. there's way more to this. Why do you combine them? Yeah, I don't remember what, uh, what the game was or anything. But uh, yeah, I was just thinking about that. So I wrote this about it. Great. Well, let's take a listen to that right now. Cool. All right. Thank you. 
That was just splendid. It's kind of stuff, um, you know, I, I know when you were saying before that, like, you were thinking about being a guitarist and not a singer-songwriter, that it was hard for you to come around and figure out how to, like, write a song. Yeah. And But I think what's it's so cool is you created, like, an audio, like, again, I was thinking, like, an audio space. I felt like I was there. I felt like I felt exactly the mood you were trying to put across. I felt the, the C vibe. Yeah. And I feel like there's so <laughs> many applications of that. You know, that stuff is actually kind of really actually sellable. Yeah. Because you can like put that in a video game. You can put that on, a, on, a, on an app. You can put that in like, there's so many different ways you could just be like, oh yeah, this just works for that. And it works for this. And you know. Yeah, that's true. It's background in the, you know, in the movie. Yeah. They're, they're yeah. hitting up the beach. You know, it's like a pirate's going by and like, you got this salty sea tail going and it's like, hey, let me tune yeah, for that. That, 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 is definitely an, I mean, that is an island track. You, like, you just got washed ashore and you're trying to like figure out your surroundings. I, I you hear these wind chimes. I felt like I, immediately the first thing I thought was, oh man, this would be the perfect theme song to a sweet new pirate video game. <laughs> That would rule. That would all be awesome. Yeah, that. <laughs> I, I have three things, three questions, two of which are sort of interconnected. But first off, did I see correctly on the ID for the track that it's Arc Light? Oh, yeah. It was actually on a record. Arc Light was a project my brother and I had. How that, old's your brother? Uh, he's three years older than me. Three years and, older. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, and so he was playing music, too. Yeah. Yeah. We made music together when we were uh, younger for a while. He did write lyrics and sing and played bass. And then uh, that was part of a recording session we did in Richmond at Sound of Music Studios, where uh, that was a song I wrote that I wanted to put on there. The other songs were ones he wrote that I added parts to. He played bass and sang and wrote lyrics, and then I added piano, organ, guitar, and clarinet to the other songs. But I also couldn't find those recordings. Yeah, well, let, that that goes into yeah. my second question, which is the fact that this was even found in the first place is yeah. miraculous. But one, how was it found? And two. How does it feel to hear it after all this time? It was actually funny. Uh, after Taylor uh, told me about your show and put me in touch with you, just by coincidence, my dad found this recording, uh, I guess, on his computer or something and sent it to me saying he really liked it and it'd be cool if I could relearn it. And I was like, oh, man, this is perfect, which is why I sent it along to you. It's definitely strange hearing it and hearing how different I went about things when I was younger. I mean, that was, I guess, like 13, 14 years ago. So it's definitely weird hearing what I used to play like. <laughs> no, absolutely, man. I mean, 
you can't see your progression as an artist because you're living it. <laughs> it's like the same way you look in the mirror and you can't see yourself aging because <laughs> it's, you look at yourself every day and yeah. it's so gradual, so gradual. You yeah. can't tell. Like, but when you look, when you go and you take a look back, you're like, holy bananas. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh I, that was me. Yeah. Jeez. I kind of, you, you remember and you're like, yeah, linear time is weird. <laughs> <laughs> Did my beard actually get white somehow? I no, mean, no, no, it's just really blonde. It's just really blonde. The fact, the fact really is blonde. like, you know, what's so strange about that is you, you become so invested in your identity all the time. So like now, even I'll meet people and they'll be like, oh, Jim, it's like you never didn't have a beard. And I'm thinking in my mind, I'm like, no, I've only the majority of my life. I didn't have a beard. <laughs> Like I was a, all of childhood, no beard. Yeah, yeah. So like for me, there's a good twenty years no beard. You know, you guys are not <laughs> taking into account. They're like, oh, you're just a bearded guy. <laughs> we we have to take a quick break, and when we come back, I really am excited to uh, hear more of these tracks that Charlie Rao provided to us, as well as hearing him play some guitar in the studio. Uh, Absolutely. No, Jimmy's back with us here this week. This is Lost and Rewound Radio Free Brooklyn. Stick around. Charlie Rao. Hey. <laughs> yeah. and, and, and Jimmy Hoffman. Yeah. Thank we God. Back. Thank God. Uh, I can't do this on my own. I can't do this on my own. I Dude, miss yeah. this guy. You know what it is? It's one of those things, and uh, I feel like any musician can, can appreciate it. it. Our voices are such counterpoints. <laughs> That when, he, when I'm not there and he's talking, I know he's like, where's all that? I need that bass to back me up. I need this like, I just my song. This is the song of my show. I need this. If, if you are listening to this and you're inspired to dig into your archives, reach out to us, Lost and Rewound at RadioFreeBrooklyn.org. And uh, hit us up on Facebook or Twitter if you want. We're not on Instagram yet. Uh, more on the Instagram. We'll get it. We'll get it going maybe in the summer or something. I didn't tell you about Fiona, did I? What is, what's she done now? She's got 100 followers on Instagram, courtesy of me. Oh, dude, you can get that built up big time. <laughs> big enough time. about the headshot. Enough about the headshot. <laughs> Charlie, you, the second track that we have is called uh, Orphans. Yeah. And uh, could you tell us a little bit about This is a little after uh, ocean boating, but not too long after. You were still in Virginia when you made this track? No, I was in Tennessee. I was in Nashville. You were in Nashville. And this point. one I recorded with a field recorder myself. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I did that in, in Tennessee. And uh, this is another one. My dad also found this one. I'm not sure where because I totally forgot about this song. I do remember now that I wrote it uh, when I was in Nashville, which I guess would have been a few years after the recording session in Virginia that Ocean Boating was on. This would probably be around 2008, maybe 2008 or 2009. Mm -hmm. This is on electric guitar. For a long time, I didn't play acoustic guitar at all. 
Well, we know why. Yeah. <laughs> Youth. Hopefully, <laughs> <laughs> oh, you hear it. <laughs> well, still, yeah. man, still. Uh, you were rebelling even if it wasn't that type yeah, of song. Yeah, exactly. In my own way. Yeah. <laughs> you were like, well, I'm going to play still my same kind of soft stuff, but electric, baby. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I can't remember. I actually have no clue uh, why it's called Orphans. Because well, you so, even said you forgot about the song existed, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, so I've, I'm not really sure it's what. Deep, deep I, meaning, man. Yeah, it's a deep, it's a deep song title. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I have no clue what it was about. And it's so. also the name of a very scrubby gang in the Warriors. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> <laughs> could have been them maybe you were like man i'll write this i'll write a song about this the gang that gets no respect no respect at all no. it's their time exactly well then let's uh scrub off the dirt off this and hear what we got
And once again, that was a gorgeous melody composed by our guest, Charlie Rao. The song was called Orphans, recorded in Nashville, Tennessee. There's n- nobody else there helping you out there, no? Or? No, no, that was, that. yeah, it was just it was on a, a so little field layered. recorder. This album that you just released on Destiny Records, uh, what was your connection with Destiny Records? Uh, what, what kind of music do they normally put out? Destiny actually usually puts out modern jazz stuff. I have a few friends in town that are on the label and a good friend of mine, Cam Mizell, uh, his music is on it and he also works for the label. When I recorded Veritas in France, I sent it to him just to get some feedback. He was really into it and was nice enough to send it to Mike Shields, who owns Destiny Records, and they uh, decided they wanted to put it out, which so I'm really happy to be part of their team. Fantastic, man. Yeah. You recorded that in France. It was part of another recording session. A friend of mine, Sasha Zambler Carhart, who's a fantastic composer, uh, we have a project. He has a barn in the south of France that we were recording in. He, well, like he Bordeaux owns or it. something? Uh, no, in uh, Blazac, uh, a very, very tiny village yeah. in the Marguerite Mountains. Wow. That's, yeah. uh, that's so. definitely conducive to the artistic process, man. <laughs> yeah, Let's so, get it cracking and scope to, to, to the mountains in France, baby. <laughs> We were recording our project there, and um, we had to wait an extra day because Sasha needed a vocal rest before we started recording the actual session we were there to do. But the engineer, Andrea Friggi, uh, had already set up the mics for everything. So I just asked him, hey, would you mind just hitting record for about 45 minutes and just let me play some of my stuff? So it was really cool because we recorded the record with only overhead mics. It's on electric guitar and uh, the amp wasn't mic'd. So it's just the sound of the room and the one guitar with no edits in it. So it turned out really cool. Dope, man. Um, See, again, you know, room sound can add a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it really filled it in and it allowed me to keep it as simple as I wanted it to be. And one of the things I noticed listening back to these two uh, that's really interesting is for whatever reason, when I was younger, the stuff I wrote was really long. (laughs) Like, I I mean, it was just like uh, five minutes, four minutes. Yeah. Yeah. And and the entire record of Veritas is 16 minutes long. Some of them are less than a minute long. And uh, that's that's something that? that just feels really natural to me now is that the stuff I write is more similar to a lullaby. Well, I think I think you're absolutely right, because I keep telling musician friends of mine, because I watch a lot of music now, I go as an eyes that where I don't really I'm not like a person who knows better. I say I'm always thinking one less verse, you yeah. know, make it make it a little shorter. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's not like I want you off the stage. It's just like I want you to leave me wanting more when I'm like one more verse. Then you should end the song. Yeah. Well, well, because it... it's like, that's when I'm like, oh, why can't I see him again? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But if the song's like six minutes, I'm like, I hope that guy doesn't come back. <laughs> I mean, it, it just sounds to me like uh, there was simply just you were constructing this music without the need to per se improvise more. When you're on a jazz label, one would think, okay, well, this is a jazz record. Um, not necessarily. And if somebody did pick it up thinking it was a jazz record, they would say, well, is there any jams or there, is there any, any uh, vamping or uh, improvising? And there's none of that because you just get to the point. Yeah. And but, you leave it at that. It was actually kind of funny. I was nervous when they signed me and wanted to put the record out because I know that they're a jazz label and they have really amazing jazz artists on there. And I'm totally not a jazz guitarist or or, or a jazz artist. And I was nervous how it would be received by the press. I was really happy to find that it was reviewed very, very well. Uh, the reviews were through the roof, way more than I expected, which was really nice. Humbling. Um, yeah, absolutely. I'm really grateful for that. 
But yeah, there were some that addressed that. Because a lot of the time, if you see something's a solo guitar record, you're thinking somebody like Chet Atkins or, you know, Marty Kessel or someone who's just, oh, it sounds like eight people at once. And like mine very much sounds like (laughs) Like one person, (laughs) like playing very little. So I was glad that the reviews didn't just completely trash me for that. But uh, one of them did mention, they were like, yeah, if you're looking for like a virtuosic, you know, jazz guitar record, you'll be bitterly disappointed. (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing. I, yeah. I won't ask which, which magazine, but... Well, well, I mean, they went on to say that they really liked it because it was the opposite. I just thought it was funny that they opened up with that. They didn't say it in, like, an insulting way. They were just saying, like, be aware that this is not, like... But hey, man, you, you, I think that um, that's something, again, similar that you always hear the same way when you do comedy. Trim the fat. Yeah, yeah. Give people exactly what they need and get out of there. Yeah. And, you know, it's just the way to be. Play us a song then, my friend. Yeah. Play us. You have a song here from Veritatas that is a, I think you had said that one of the first songs that you ever wrote. Yeah. Is it something that you originally had written a longer piece and then for the sake of the album, you made it a shorter piece? No, uh, actually, uh, it's the very first what I consider the very first song, the first music that I ever wrote. Yeah. Um, oh, I was saying, but originally when you wrote oh, it, oh, yeah. it was shorter. Uh, it, it was always been short, like the album says, like yeah. you're saying the album is, or was it uh, actually uh, longer when you first wrote it and then you trimmed it down? No, it was it was short. All it is, it's a very short melody. It's maybe like a 20 or 30 second melody. That's the actual song is just that. Um, and it's something I used to hum a lot when I was growing up in Alabama. My family Going back to Huntsville when yeah. you were on the, <laughs> on the porch with the chimes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and this was uh, when I was around eight, so I didn't play any instruments. I didn't know anything about music. I just used to hum this melody. I used to play outside by myself a lot, like climbing trees and stuff. And I would hum this all the time and I never forgot it. But a few years back, I just was thinking about it one day and figured out how to play it on guitar. I never recorded it, but I started playing it live and I really enjoyed it. And it got a really good response and it felt nice to play it, a nice connection uh, with my past. Uh, So when I was recording Veriditas, I did a pass on it where I put a really short little improvised intro on it and then uh, play the melody and then just made some elasticity with the melody for a little bit and you know just kind of like played with it and uh, one of the things that I thought about listening to these old songs after so long was I didn't have a lot of life experience when those songs were recorded I feel like as I started traveling more and meeting more people and experiencing more I started having a lot more comfort with brevity and space yeah, and I, and I think when I didn't really know that much, I was trying to say too many things at once, uh, which is <laughs> I know what, what those that. songs kind of. <laughs> yeah, I mean, not that that's a problem. I don't still have. But, if you could uh, avoid yeah. trying to make things more convoluted, then you're on the right track. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, I feel like this song it's it's one of the longer tracks on the record, and I think it's still under. Like it's like two and a half minutes or something. Charlie Rao here live in the studio on Lost and Rewound. Let's take a listen to this track called Erolin.
simply gorgeous, dude. That was amazing. Thank you. Hell yeah, brother. Hearing that, that sounds like a track that a very, very young and impressionable Charlie Rowe was hearing on some kind of uh, movie soundtrack. Like, it just, like, was an earworm, and he was just like... <laughs> I'm thinking like, like it was something very uh, innocuous and probably, you know, like three or four notes, and then you just ran with it and made something else. Yeah. Making music out of your head. Who knows? Maybe it went another way. Maybe uh, the progressions that you created were not the progressions that this uh, song that you remember from your childhood and how it uh, you interpreted it, it was spawned a different way. Yeah. There's something really special about hearing something that you are inspired to create that was clearly maybe derivative of something, but yeah. it takes a life of its own. Yeah, for sure. It's also very poetic that that was birthed out of something that you were humming when you were a boy and yeah. making it uh, a part of your adult life and your career and your art. Yeah. Um it's pretty, it's pretty special, yeah. honestly. I don't think that there are a lot of connections. And that's sort of something that I think really relates to our show almost. Um, Entirely too much, yes. Yeah, I was just thinking, I'm like, <laughs> I don't know that anyone's played a song so pertinent. <laughs> like, <laughs> this is the purpose of our show. Let me play you a song How off did... my current album that just so happens to be the first song <laughs> I ever wrote. How did we get from there to here? Uh, yeah, man. Exactly. Um, and it, when it was well worth it, man. Thank very, you. very good stuff. Thank you very much. We have time for one more track, and on Charlie's recommendation, we're actually going to play a track from the record. The track is called Augustine. Another gorgeous track from Charlie Rao. Oh, Charlie Rao. What a guy. <laughs> that was written for your nephew. Yes. 
Yeah, my nephew Augustine. Yeah, it's a gorgeous name. It is. I don't think I know anybody else with a name like Augustine. He's a special kid. Really? Got to get it out in the world. <laughs> uh, so all these tracks in some way have something to do with you personally, right? I mean, there's like so many different ways that you can go about creating an album that's inspired out of life. And a lot of the tracks that are on here are very much uh, stemmed from personal experiences. Yeah, uh, the title is actually, Veritas is a word that uh, Hildegard von Bingen used a lot in her writing. And she's uh, my biggest influence. She was a nun in the 12th century that composed really amazing music and wrote prolifically about various topics. And uh, she used that word a lot. Uh, it translates to greenness. And she used it to describe evidence of renewal and, I guess, beauty in the natural world. I wrote all the songs on this about places I've been or people that I know that remind me that there's a lot to be grateful for. So it seemed like a good title. I like that, man. There's so much to uh, clearly uncover for the next album that you decide to make, and uh, clearly more travels will be made in the in in the interim. Yeah, yeah, I'm actually working on the next one right now. Beautiful. So. Are you going to go to France for that one too? Uh, I've been spending a lot of time in Scandinavia. Look at you. Uh, yeah, nice, <laughs> nice. So the new music is really influenced by that. Yeah. It's a little, a little bit of darkness in this. It's going to be a black metal record. Let the yeah. darkness creep in. Yeah. <laughs> People could uh, find you again online. Your, your website is charlie rao at r a u h dot com. Yep. Um, you're all over the place. Otherwise, SoundCloud, Bandcamp. Mm -hmm. Dude, this is amazing, wonderful music. I'm so glad you were able to share it with us oh, here. Oh, thank you so studio. much. And, yeah, thank you so much for coming out, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. This has been awesome. I'm Alon, and this is Jimmy. Lost and Rewound on Radio Free Brooklyn. songs they would get in my head because they were so simple yeah it's easy to remember them because yeah. it was like three notes yeah, written by sure. the same guy <laughs> he's in the basement he's like all right what's the next game <laughs> got it <laughs> <laughs>